You are listening to the Calvary Church Podcast, where each episode features a life-transforming message that was previously recorded in one of our services. And now, let's join a service that's already in progress. I want to get into the message today. It's a very simple message for you. Now, I used to believe that I was good at multitasking. And I'm not going to have you raise your hand if you think you're good at multitasking. Let me just say it really straight. You're not. (laughs) Scientists have showed us over and over how poorly we are at multitasking. And... Of course, technology today allows us to think we're multitasking, and uh, it makes us feel like we're doing a bunch of things all at once, which we could be doing a bunch of things all at once, but when it comes to the idea of being mentally in two places at once, you cannot do it. And I was recently in a meeting, and I had my laptop open, and some of you have experienced this or experienced this on your job where you're working on your laptop in the middle of a meeting, right, thinking you're paying attention to what's going on in the meeting, you know, just doing a few things, you know, looking at whatever, respond to a few things, listening to whatever. I thought I was doing a pretty good job multitasking until they said, Tom, what do you think? Ooh, ah, well, man, I was really backpedaling. What was the last thing I actually heard said? We answer emails while we're on the phone. Anybody ever do that? You're talking to somebody on the phone. You might be, I never do that when you guys call, but sometimes when, <laughs> when other things are going on, um, I might be doing something and, and, what scientists say is that really what you're doing is you're, we have a really great gift to be able to go back and forth between things very fast. And so that's essentially what we do. We uh, do a lot of things, and even in this service today, some of you are listening, texting, emailing, checking the weather, all of those things, but what, what we know is that's fine. You, you, you can make yourself feel good that you're listening, and those of you who are online watching at home, let me just say, you are very vulnerable uh, to think that you're listening to this message and when, in fact, you're probably doing a few other things at the same time. But what it does, it waters down the effectiveness of what you've heard. And again, I, I don't say that because I've got anything profound to say today. You're not, you could probably do 10 things today and listen to this message and you got it. You'll get it. It's not that complicated. But it's something that uh, I think we all think that we can do in our lives. And, and uh, scientist, uh, neuroscientist Earl, Earl Miller said, people can't multitask very well. And when people say they can they're deceiving themselves. And he said, the brain is very good at deceiving itself. Not that 
heart is deceitful above all things came to mind when I read that. But we switch from task to task and can't focus on one thing while focused on something else. And when they really looked at this, they scanned the brain and they were watching and they watched as people struggled to kind of go from task to task. And I know you've probably experienced this uh, if you have children or you've been in certain environments where two people are talking to you at the same, same time. It's impossible, illusionist. Their whole idea, the way that they are able to trick us is we are incapable of focusing on two things at one time. Magicians use the same art of manipulation in which they misdirect attention to cause us to miss what they are doing. And so really the idea of paying attention to one thing means that your brain shuts out other information. And in fact, a neuron activated, it says, scientists say, activated by a stimulus will inhibit its neighbors. A neuron activated by a stimulus will inhibit its neighbors, preventing them from sending signals related to other stimuli. And it's a, a, an interesting phenomenon that as you are focused on one task, you're literally blocking your ability to focus on other things. And I want to just preach on the thought today one thing, one thing. Now, when Jesus was on the earth, he healed a man. You're familiar with a man who was blind, probably, in John chapter 9. I want us to look at this passage. I want us to walk through it for just a second. John chapter 9, verse number 1. says, Jesus passed by. He saw a man who was blind from birth. And, of course, verse 2 tells us his disciples... Being so spiritual, ask, whose fault? We want to know. We've got to have somebody to blame. And we know that. We have to always have somebody to blame. And Jesus answered in verse 3 that it was neither this man nor his parents' sin, but that the work of God should be revealed in him. So we're setting up this miracle for Jesus to heal this man. And so in verse number 6, the miracle is that Jesus spat on the ground and he made clay and he anointed this man's eyes and he told him to go wash in the pool and uh, he went and he washed and he came back and he could see. And so, verse number 8, the neighbors and those who had seen him said that, uh, is not this the one who we saw sitting and wasn't this the guy who was blind? They were having a hard time coming to terms with the fact that, wait a second, we know this guy was blind. It looks like him, but we're not sure that it's him. And some said, no, it's him. And uh, others said, no, it must be somebody like him. It looks like him. And I love his statement. It's, I'm he, it's me. I'm the guy. I am he. 
But I don't know that he said it like that. That's our fancy way of saying it. I am he. It's me. I'm the guy. Verse number 10. He said, they said, how were your eyes open? And he said, a man called Jesus, made clay, anointed my eyes, told me to wash. I went and washed and I received sight. Then they said, where is this guy? Where is this man who healed you? He said, I I don't know where he's at. And so they brought him to the Pharisees. They're going to work it through the Pharisees. And and, uh, verse number 14 says that it was the Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. And so this really got the Pharisees sideways because they considered this to be work. They considered that Jesus was doing work on the Sabbath. And uh, verse number 15, the Pharisees asked him again how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put clay on my eyes. I washed and I saw. I don't know how to explain it all, but this is what has happened. And then some of the Pharisees said in verse 16, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. And so they said to the blind man, again, he's being investigated for a crime, it appears. He's just been healed. You would think people would be excited, but instead they want to investigate. And so they said to the blind man, what do you say about him? Because he opened your eyes. And the blind man said, well, he's got to be a prophet. The Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight. That's interesting. So they all of a sudden are not going to believe the story, verse 18, until they called his parents to ask them about what had happened. Verse 19, they asked him and said, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered them and said, we know this is our son and that he was born blind. We're confident of that. We've known that all his life. But by what means he sees, we don't know. Or who opened his eyes, we don't know. But you can ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. Now, they give us a little context in verse Number 22, the reason his parents were deflecting answering this in some ways is that because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed that if anyone confessed that Jesus was the Christ, that they would be put out of the synagogue. So essentially, these parents knew that if they gave the wrong answer here, this could change their lives forever. It would change who they interacted with. So they were careful and they Put, put it all on this young man whose eyes were blind. Good parents, I think. Not taking the fall for you. You're on your own. You're old enough to speak. You can handle this. Anybody ever had a child? I don't have a child that drives, but, you know, I don't remember my dad ever paying any of my speeding tickets. Said, you're on your own. You're old enough. You can, you can handle this. So his parents essentially said, you're on your own. Good luck with that. In verse 24... So they called again the man who was blind. They said, "Give God glory. We know what this man that we know this man is a sinner." Then he answered. This blind man said, 
Whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. But one thing I know. You can get in the weeds if you want to. You can try to find all kinds of other ways to explain it. You can do all that. But here's one thing that I know. That though I was blind, now I see. I I, I once couldn't see anything, but all of a sudden I could see everything. I don't know everything. I can't explain it. I don't have the algorithm. I don't have the method. I don't have all the scientific, scientific facts behind it. I don't even have the theology to explain it. But all I have is that one time I couldn't see, and all of a sudden I could see. One thing I know. And I I think it would be helpful sometimes when we get into situations in our life and fear is beaten up on us and and the world seems to be beaten up on us and culture seems to be threatening us. I I, I just think sometimes it just makes sense to, to pause and go, you know what, there's just one thing I know. That once I was in sin and now I'm set free. Once I was burdened by the weight of sin, but all of a sudden things were different. Some of you know what it's like to be sick in your body one day and to to wake up and to be set free. One thing I know, and I, I would want to encourage you today that you should have at least one thing that you know. The disciples tried to complicate it. The Pharisees tried to complicate it. The the parents didn't want anything to do with it. They tried to deflect it. But this man simply said, one thing I know. You can argue about what it means, why it happened. You can bring in the expert testimony and witnesses. But at the end of the day, it's pretty simple. One day I couldn't see. And the next day I could see. I'll tell you, there's great power in our ability to boil our faith down to one thing. And if there was one thing I would encourage you to boil your faith down, one thing for you to know is that Jesus loves you. If you were to boil everything down when you're facing fear and you're facing anxiety and you're facing all these things, one thing that you could know is that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Oh, hallelujah. You know, each of you probably have an experience of one day, one moment, one minute, you were praying in English. And the next minute you didn't understand what you were saying. One minute you were afraid. And the next minute you were filled with peace. One thing. One thing I know. One moment tragedy strikes. One thing I know. Friends desert me. One thing I know. Marriage falls apart. One thing I know. Jesus loves us. 
Feel the touch of the Lord. Jesus' name. God, I pray. I pray for those in this room today, those who are watching online today. The enemy has tried to bring a lot of complication to their testimony. God, and I'm praying in this moment that there would just be this security of faith. This moment, Lord, for them, they could have confidence. God, that you truly have done a work in their life. God, we pray your peace that passes understanding. We pray your joy unspeakable and full of glory. Lord, I'm praying, I'm praying that one thing they could know in the name of Jesus. So, there's one thing we can know, there's one thing we can do. And David said in Psalm 27, The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. One thing, one thing I have desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. One thing have I desired. There's one thing I know, but then there's one thing that I desire, and that will I seek after. I'm going to whittle down life to one point like a pencil. I'm going to bring it into focus to say there's one thing of all the things that I should do in my life, and that is simply to seek after the Lord, to just seek after the Lord, to reach for him. I hope it's not too simple for you, but I, I, I feel it today that sometimes we overcomplicate what God's trying to do in our lives. And he loves us. And he says, if you can seek me, you can find me. One thing I have desired. Oh, hallelujah. And so, Matthew six twenty four, Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. For either you will hate the one and love the other, or else you will be loyal to the one and despise the others. And I think that's what we do a lot of times. We're, we're trying to multitask in a world where there is no multitasking. We're trying to have a relationship with God and a relationship with this. And it's not going to work. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. One thing that we ought to do when we wake up in the morning, and it's seek the Lord. Seek the Lord for what he has for us that day. Seek his presence every day. The world gets complicated and there are things pulling us in different directions. There's one thing to do. It's seek the Lord. It's to put our trust and our confidence in Him. It's how we go and we reach what God has for us. That we seek the Lord. Because I find that there can be in our lives 
one thing that's missing. Jesus said to the young man, the rich young ruler, he said, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Saying the thing that you lack is that you're not seeking me, you're not following me. And Jesus told Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. And Mary has chosen that part which will not be taken away. Martha in the kitchen, serving, doing what's right. There was one thing, one element that Jesus said was needed. And that was to seek Him, to know Him. Dr. Vernon McGee, radio host years ago of Through the Bible, found it interesting. He said this, The happiest time of my ministry began when I was retired. He said, More people turned to Christ. He said, Because I got my life down to one thing. I'm just doing radio. I think we could replicate that in our lives and whether it's in the church or in our jobs, we realize that we're more effective the more singular we get. But in our relationship with God and in our faith, I, I think that our faith sometimes gets too complicated. And when it does, we start hearing this and hearing that and it actually causes us to be less effective as Christians. So as I close today, I'm reminded of what Paul said to the Philippian church in Philippians chapter 3.13. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do getting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. One thing. There was one thing you could do. One thing you could do in your life to grow your relationship with Jesus Christ, what would it be? I invite you to stand with me this morning. Because it's the simple idea of seeking the Lord. It's the simple idea of humbling ourselves to say, God, I'm going to reach for you. I'm going to reach for you in spite of the things going on around me. I'm going to reach for you in spite of the uncertainty of my life, the answers that I don't have, the explanations that I don't have. Paul said one thing that I do, because I haven't apprehended yet. I haven't reached the pinnacle 
yet. And so I'm just going to reach forward. I'm going to seek for the Lord. And I think if we all did an inventory of our lives and we looked at our lives, this beginning of the year, there's probably one thing that we could do. Probably one thing we could do in our lives that would have an impact on our relationship with God. I'm not going to fill in that blank for you, but you probably know what that is. And I feel compelled this morning to really help somebody in the midst of things that seem to be swirling everywhere to get it down to one thing. What's the one thing you could know? What's the one thing you could do that could change your relationship with God? David said, I would seek the Lord. I would reach for the Lord. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.